It is good to see you. Welcome. We are glad you're here at Life Community. And I just want to echo what Jason said. We hope we have a saying around here, my circle, my responsibility. And and what that means is that God has placed people in each of our lives, um, co-workers, friends, family, that it's our responsibility to love, pray for, care about, serve, share Jesus with, and to invite. And so I hope you'll pray about inviting somebody uh, to one of our Christmas services this coming week. Now, how many of you ever, maybe in your younger years, some of you, you're in these years, um, how many of you ever maybe tried to sneak into a club with friends? All right, we got a few, like you're fessing up. So I was 21, uh, I was living down in Tyler, Texas, actually Lindale, which is uh, close to Tyler. Uh, I was doing a missions training school on a missions um, training base, and we were broke missionaries, and we decided, me and another friend, that we were going to try to sneak in to a club. Now, it's not what you think. It was a Sam's Club. (laughs) I got you there. (laughs) Why, you ask? Free samples, of course. We were broke missionaries, and I don't know, you know, I think Sam's over the years has kind of, you know, uh, their game isn't quite as good as it used to be, but I remember at this point hearing about the legendary samples at Sam's Club. They were everywhere in Texas, and you could get a full meal, you know, just going around, and so uh, I don't remember how we got in, uh, but I remember we got in, we enjoyed some samples. I think we felt guilty about it afterwards because we were... um, missionaries. But anyway, samples. Anybody like samples? Yeah. My kids love it. I mean, they they would beg when they were little, they would beg to go to Sam's just to get the samples. It was like, they loved that. Anyway, here's the thing about samples. Samples are great. Samples are good, right? You You go and get a good sample, it's good. But the whole point of a sample is to what? To, to get you to buy, to make you want more, right? To make you want to move beyond the sample to something more. It's kind of like uh, anybody go to our chili cook-off here. A bunch of you were there um, about a month ago, had this giant chili cook-off, and uh, you tried all these samples. You found your favorite one, and you went back to get more, and it was gone. Everybody else beat you to it. Anybody? Yeah, I, I cheated, I got to confess, because I had like, you know, my, my favorite chili cookers. So one of them, I'm like, hey, dude, what's your, what's your chili? And he hooked me up with the number, and I just went straight to the bowl. Skipped the sample, went straight to the bowl, ended up winning number one. I'm like, I, I chose wisely. So anyway, but the point of samples is that you might then go on to experience the whole. That you would go on to experience actually the full meal, right? And here's, here's the thing about the passage we're in today in John chapter 17. These are Jesus' final words we see in John before he heads into the, the day, the night, and the day that will lead to the cross. And when it comes to this chapter of the Bible, John 17, as I read this, as I ponder it, it as I listen to these words, it makes me feel oftentimes like I've only tasted samples of what's available to me in Jesus. It makes me feel like there have been times and moments in my life where I've tasted and I've seen and I, I've experienced 
what Jesus describes, but I haven't accessed it to, to the level that I want to. There's been many seasons where I feel like I've not pursued it. I've not been aware of what's available. I've missed out. And so here's my hope for you today, that this passage would make you hungry to know the richness and the depth and to truly experience what is available to you in Jesus. And if you want to follow along in your Bibles, it'll be on the screen too. If you want to follow along, you can turn over to John chapter 17. And just to, to remind you where we've been all fall, we've, we've been preaching verse by verse through the, through the book of John for quite some time now. We've been in chapters 13 through 17 all fall. And this is the, the section of scripture where Jesus is communicating his final instructions, his, his final um, warnings and encouragements to his followers before the cross. And as we finish up John chapter 17, we're going to finish up this section today. We've got a new series for the new year, and then we're going to save the last four chapters of John and uh, teach those for the few weeks leading up to Easter. But we're going to move really quickly here today. Because um, John 17, this is a prayer of Jesus, the, the longest account we have in Scripture of Jesus praying. It's called the High Priestly pray, Prayer. And he's praying about mission. He's praying about his mission, his greatest heart desires, his heart for his disciples, and his heart for you and me. And we're going to go through this really quickly. I, I looked up uh, one of my favorite preachers when I was younger that I like to listen to. Took eight weeks preaching through this, this one chapter. We're going we're gonna to do it in one, one, in one day here today because I thought, you know, maybe a couple of years in the book of John is enough. Uh, <laughs> so, so. We're going to move through it quickly, but, but my heart for you today as you hear this is, is that this would serve maybe as a sample to make you hungry, to take these words home, to dig deeper, to read them, to ponder them, to ask God to help you experience more of the reality of what Jesus prays for you and for me and to create a hunger in you for more of him. So before we start reading, why don't we just take a moment and and, and pray and invite God to do that in our hearts, if you'd agree along. Lord Jesus, Father, as we come to, to this, your word, and Jesus, to this, your prayer for your followers, I ask that you would open our hearts to hear what you're trying to communicate to us, that we would receive, that we would go deeper, and that this would make us want more of you. Bring us to yourself, Lord, in Jesus' name. All right, in John chapter 17, verse 1, it says this. After Jesus said this, talking about everything we've been going through all fall from chapter 13 on, where he said some incredible things, like a new commandment I give you to love one another as I have loved you. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. This will be a, a distinguishing characteristic of following me. He tells us that, uh, that he is going to be going away. He says, you're going to weep and grieve, but your grief is going to turn to joy because you're going to see me again. He says he's going to go away, but he's going to send the Holy Spirit and says that's actually going to be better for you because now instead of just me in one place location, um, I am going to indwell millions upon millions of my followers to go out into this world 
and bring my love and my message and the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm going to empower you for the mission you've been given. He says, like we saw yesterday, we had a coffee cup verse, and we actually printed it on a coffee cup because this wasn't one you saw very often, right? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, he says, because I have overcome the world. We saw that he said, I am the way, the truth, the life, the only way to the Father. That true life is found in him. And so after Jesus has said all of that and so much more, he says this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed. Father. He addresses God, the Father, just as he invites us to address God as our Father, our Abba. Father. The hour has come. The hour has come. Remember all throughout the book of John, he's been saying, my hour is not yet. My time has not yet come. Here he realizes this is what it's all been leading towards. This is the goal. This is the culmination of what he came to this earth to accomplish. As we celebrate the Christmas season, this is where it's headed. Advent, the expectation, the hope of Messiah, this is where it's been headed to this hour where he accomplishes redemption for humanity. The hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. <laughs> that amazing start to a prayer. And Jesus, as he, as he lifts these words up, we see these, all these themes of glory. And in the scriptures, we see glory over and over. It's the glory of God that comes down in the Old Testament on Mount Sinai with the presence of God. So, so amazing. And um, the splendor, they were terrified. And Moses wants more. Remember that? And he says, show me your glory. He goes up into the cloud that veils the glory of God. And he says, show me your glory. And God basically says, you can't handle it. But I'll tell you what I'll show you is where I've just been. And now Jesus says, I've come and I've glorified you. He's going to say, I've revealed your glory here. Like as much as a human, a finite little human brain can, can see and understand without going and exploding, I've shown the Father and revealed the Father to humanity. If you want to know the Father, remember what Jesus has said in these last chapters, you've got to look at Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That the heart of the Father is bound up in the person of Jesus. The words of the Father are the words that Jesus speaks. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm about to be glorified in this hour. You see, in this moment, the gospel in so many ways is upside down to the systems and the kingdoms of this world. Because Jesus is in this hour is going to the cross, and he sees this as glory when most of the world sees it as shame where the enemy would see it as, as a victory, as defeating Jesus. Jesus sees it as the moment when the powers of darkness are defeated. It's the upside-down nature of the gospel. The first shall be last. Jesus says, I'm, in this hour, I'm glorified. I'm bringing glory. And we see this, this big theme of eternal life. 
that I've given eternal life. You've enabled me. I've given eternal life. I've come to give eternal life to us. And when we see eternal life in the scriptures, oftentimes we just think about it in and sort of go to heaven and, you know, life that never ends. Literally in the Greek throughout the, the New Testament, the idea is the life of the age to come. And it's both a quantity and a quality. So it's not just life. It's not like this life, this broken life, just forever. No, it's a quality of life, of the age to come, of splendor that you can't even imagine and wrap your mind around, of a future and a destiny and a, and a hope. It's like, you know, you, you go to get the sample and they give you the whole taquito. That's a good day, right? Now, uh, okay. Very much not acceptable uh, <laughs> illustration of the glory we're talking about here. But it's like the, the idea is we, just, we can barely taste of what eternity is going to be like. We can barely understand. We can't wrap our minds around the scope of eternity, the glory, the splendor that we, that we will know, that, that we begin to know now. See, it begins now that we receive life now and we begin to get tastes and glimpses of that now. Samples. And when he returns, you know, we celebrate the first advent now. In the second advent, when he returns and makes all things new, we're going to experience the fullness, the consummation of that. And how do we experience that? He says, it comes through knowing God. Not just an intellectual ascent to a, to a set of facts, and the idea in the Hebrew of, of knowing always means experience and intimacy, that there's relationship there, that there's a love for God, that there's a love for Jesus, that there's a recognition of him as our Lord and as our Savior, and that we follow him, that we obey him, that we give our lives for him. By knowing God having a relationship with him. And I love this. In this very first section, Jesus says, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world ever began. And, and he gives us this glimpse of the very beginning, before the beginnings of, of this creation, that he, in eternity past, perfect unity, perfect harmony with the Father, perfect love, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for eternity past. <laughs> Splendor beyond anything you can imagine in the heavenly realms. And Jesus, I, you see in the heart of our Savior a longing that he's been at the side of the Father and now he longs to get back there. He's like, I want it back. I, I fulfilled my mission. I was faithful. I'm about ready to fulfill it at the cross and the resurrection, and I'm coming home. I love that he, he just has so much excitement about us. You know, in, in this season, Christmas, we celebrate, we sing Emmanuel, God with us. And Paul tells us in Philippians that Jesus actually, he, he laid aside the privileges and glory of the very throne room of God in order to come and take on flesh as humanity and become obedient even to the point of death on a cross for you and I. 
that he fulfills his, his mission. But here in this verse, he reminds us of the whole bigger narrative that before the world, before God invites and creates humans to be part of this beautiful, perfect community in Genesis 1-1 and creates us in his image, there was perfect harmony and unity in the heavenly realms, in God, in the Godhead. And we were created to experience and to exist within that That's what we are created for. And then, of course, sin and brokenness enters in Genesis chapter 3, and relationship is broken, and the work that Jesus comes to to complete in the first advent is to redeem humanity, to restore relationship, to restore harmony. And the way this whole thing is headed is, is towards a new heaven and a new earth where we will dwell in God's presence. And beautiful, at the end of Revelation, it's described as like the presence of God dwelling among his people and such a purity of light. You won't even need the sun to light the way because God himself dwells there. And I love it here that you see that he wants us there with him. You're going to see that at the end of this chapter, verse 24. He wants to show you. He wants you there. He can't wait to show you what it's like. And that's what you were created for, to spend eternity with him. That's the true longing of your heart. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis uh, that, that I love. He says this, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And this is what you were made for. This is what you were created for. You were created to know him and have relationship with him. This is what we try to fill so often in our lives and in the holiday season as we think maybe possessions or all these different things will fill that void and we get past that and none of that fills that void. We were made for relationship with him, for community with him, and you enter into that by knowing him, by trusting him. Verse six, he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. The very words I speak are your words, Father. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. They believed, they trusted, they followed He says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. And Jesus, when he talks about the world here in this context, many times in the book of John, what we see is the world isn't necessarily just speaking of, you know, the globe and the people in the globe, but it's the, it's the powers of this present world, this present age that, are, that stand in opposition to God. The powers that refuse to believe in God, that go on to crucify Jesus. This is, this is what so often spoke about. Now, you have to read these verses in John chapter 17 as we read them in the context of the rest of what we've learned in the book of John as we've, as we've been moving through the book of John. So what do we see about the world at the very beginning? And perhaps the most famous verse, John three sixteen, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That he loves the world. 
And so don't read these words as Jesus doesn't care about the world. No, in fact, the very fact that he's, he's about ready to go to the cross is to accomplish the salvation. But he says, I, I'm praying right now for those you have given me out of the world. And this chapter in John chapter 17, along with other passages in the scripture, have been passages that scholars argue about and spin off on. We have a saying around here, and uh, that's that we're lifelong learners. And what that means is if you haven't like, changed any viewpoints or opinions in the last few years, you probably haven't been learning much. And what that also means is there's some things in the scripture that people way smarter than me have been arguing about for thousands of years. And so this passage brings up questions like predestination, um, Calvinism, Arminianism, um, election, free will, and scholars have like spun off on it and like argued about it for years and years and years. And it's not that that's not interesting or important, but around here we tend to hold things loosely that aren't necessarily essentials of understanding saving faith. It's like, okay. Now, not that we don't have opinions on it. See, and, and for me, as I read this, this, this passage brings to mind something, a theme you see all throughout Scripture, that Jesus comes and salvation is offered to everyone freely. Everyone is offered salvation. And yet, in John 1.1, we see that he says, or in John 1.11, he says, his own, he came to his own, but his own did not receive them. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And all throughout scripture, you see this idea of the righteous remnant that followed God with all their hearts. In fact, you remember uh, the prophet Elijah? And he's all, he's all depressed. He's like hanging out in a cave and he's depressed. And he's like, God, I just need a Xanax. I'm the only one left. And God says, no, I've reserved 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000 have not gone on into idolatry. You're not alone. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a remnant, and this is a theme throughout Scripture. And so even though many, many of Jesus' own, like, even people from his own hometown didn't believe in him. They didn't trust in him. Many did. And they followed him. They launched his movement around the world. And here's what I think when it comes to passages like this. The Apostle John, as I've read through this, doesn't seem to see any confusion in the tension of election versus human responsibility. He just doesn't seem to get so bothered about it as we do in our very like linear thinking sometimes as Westerners. It's kind of, it's kind of like... Um, if any of you have ever, like, maybe you've had two or three kids, and then maybe you were expected, maybe you weren't, and all of a sudden, a new kid comes along. You didn't have to sit your other kids down and explain to them how you're going to receive less love, did you? There's love. For, it, just, it grows, doesn't it? Everyone's welcome. And see, this is, I think, the heart of God. And over and over, what I see, um, no matter how the scholars like try to parse these, these scriptures, what I see as I read through the New Testament is the challenge over and over again to respond to him. The question isn't if you can get it all figured out. The question is, are you responding to him as he tugs on your heart? Are you obeying him? Are you living your life for him? As the author of Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts today. And in God's economy, it's always today. 
It's always today. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Today, you have today to follow him, to say yes to him. Verse 11, Jesus goes on. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. And in Scripture, when you, in, in Hebrew, when you think about the name, it, it represents not just somebody's name, but the inner character, the totality of their entire person. Which is why when we, Jesus says, pray in my name, it's not just a tag onto a prayer. It means in his purpose, in his character, in his will. This is why Peter gets up in his first fiery sermon after the Holy Spirit comes on him at Pentecost and says, there is no other name by which you must be saved. Believe on Jesus Christ. The name, he says, protect them. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of God. So that they may be one as we are one. <laughs> now hopefully this this is like this makes you realize um you probably only sampled that there like this should blow your mind a little bit that there's a oneness that Jesus prays for us for that can be compared to the intimacy and the oneness Jesus shares with the Father. What? I want to experience more of that, Jesus. I want to experience more of that in my relationship with you, my relationship with fellow believers. Verse 12, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. This is Judas he's speaking of that betrayed Jesus. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Do you know that Jesus' heart for you is that you would experience the full measure of his joy within you? Again, I've sampled of this in moments, in seasons, in times. Oh, but I wish it was more often. I get so caught up, so wrapped up in the cares and the worries and everything going on in my flesh that I don't think I experience this the way that, that Jesus offers to me on a daily basis. I want this to characterize more of my life. I hope you do too. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. The word, your word is truth. And you have sent me into the world. I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they true that they too may be truly sanctified. And this word sanctified, sanctify, it's the root word 
um, where we get set apart, holy. This is, these, these are all tied together. It's, it's about being set apart for God's purposes. And Jesus says, I've, I've set myself apart for your purposes, God. Sanctify them. Set them apart for your purposes. Dedicate them. There's a, there's a holiness. There's a purity. There's a singularity. There's a focus. That's to be characteristic of our life. One of my, um, one of my commentaries said this, and I thought it was really profound. Sanctification is always for mission. Since it is God's activity in the world, bringing it to truth and light and salvation. That the process of God purifying you, sanctifying, making, setting you apart, transforming your life for his purposes is for the purpose of mission. Did you see how we said my prayer is not that you take them out of the world? See, a lot of times we feel like, you know, um, I think, it's like, just get us out of here. Or at least, like, let's, let's sort of huddle up over here in our own little thing and keep everything and everybody out that doesn't just believe exactly like we do. No, actually, you've been put in here, and you've been left here. Have you noticed nobody gets beamed up right after they get saved? Yeah, that's an old Star Trek reference um, for those younger in the room. Beam me up, Scotty. Um, there was only a couple people in the scriptures that got beamed up. And that was at the end of a very long life of serving God. It, it wasn't right away. Um, go read your Bibles. It's interesting. No, you're left here on this planet. And you're left here on this planet for a purpose. You're not just left here on this planet to survive. <laughs> you're left here on this planet for a purpose, because you're a part of the mission of God. You are part of what he's doing in this world. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost ends of the world. That you are here to be salt. You are here to be light in the culture, in the community, in your circle. That's where the phrase, my circle, my responsibility comes from. That he's placed the people around you and your family and your place of work and your school in order that you can influence them and love them and, and show them Jesus. That's the primary purpose and mission of life. And it goes forward. It goes forward. The fact that we're sitting here 2,000 years later <laughs> is evidence that what Jesus said is true. that he placed his spirit in each one of us and he calls us to mission, to, to live a life that's set apart for him, that's dedicated for him, that we have a new citizenship. It's a citizenship in heaven. It's primary. We, have, we live on mission, like when we were going through Timothy earlier in the year and 2 Timothy, and he says, hey, you know, those that are involved in like the military, they're, they're not like over here, Focused on regular civilian life. They have a mission. They have a purpose. They're dedicated to a calling. And that's what you and I as followers of Jesus are to live our lives in that way. That's how we're to live our lives. On purpose. On mission. And so Jesus prays for you. He doesn't pray to get you out of this world. 
He prays, what? That you will be protected from the evil one. Because there is a spiritual battle. But the good news we saw last, last week is he says, I have overcome the world. So yes, John, the apostle, um, later on in one of his letters tells us that, uh, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one, that there is an enemy. But guess what? If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, he does not have authority over you. And Jesus prays that you would be protected from the power of the Holy One, or from the power of the enemy in your life by the Holy Spirit. He has overcome the world. And he goes on, and here's the part where he gets to actually, um, I mean, all this is, applies to us, but here he's specifically praying for you and for me. Verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays for us that we would have a unity with each other. A unity. That we would begin to experience a unity as followers of Jesus, a unity, unity of purpose and mission. Now here's what that doesn't mean, because you go look at the life of Jesus. It doesn't mean you don't ever correct someone. Jesus corrected. In fact, Peter, one of his favorite guys, he said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Doesn't mean you don't ever correct someone. Doesn't mean you always think exactly the same way as every other follower of Jesus. But it means what he demonstrated for us in, in chapter 13. Remember, as he washes his disciples' feet and then says, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And that's how other people will know that you're my, you're my followers, by your love for one another. What it does mean is that we would live in, with sacrificial love towards others. That there would be something magnetic about the community of believers that other people might think were really weird and we believe strange stuff and, you know, they always are talking about Jesus and they believe this guy rose from the dead. They don't live like culture in all these different ways. But man, the way they care for each other, I want part of that. I, I want to be part of that. There should be something magnetic about it. Uh, author, teacher, uh, Francis Chan says this. See, see Jesus says, actually, that, that this will be a key to people knowing that, that God has sent Jesus is the way his followers treat each other, interact with each other, the unity and the oneness. And here's what Francis Chan says. He says, the believability of the God we serve depends on the love that we have for one another. And, it, and it's far too often in our society, in our culture, where somebody's reason that they state for not 
for not wanting to be involved in church or not wanting to, you know, get closer to Jesus is because of church hurt from the way they were treated from someone in the body of Christ. We have a value here at Life Community. That's one anothering. One anothering. And what that means is as you go through the New Testament, you know, most of the the scriptures in the New Testament when it comes to loving and serving and all these things, um, most of the things we're instructed to do in the New Testament, if you if you go through and you read the New Testament, is all in the context of one another. So a community is in our name, like community. That we have a heart to build genuine community. That people would have relationships where we love each other, where we serve each other, where we care for each other. In fact, there's an amazing illustration of this kind of unity in the early church. Right after Peter's fiery sermon where he, he points at the people you know, who crucified Jesus, he says, Jesus was the Messiah. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. Now say you're sorry. <laughs> and 3,000 people come to Jesus that day. 3,000. I mean, you're like, home church? Boom. <laughs> Mega church, overnight. That's crazy. And here's what it says about this community of, of believers. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. <laughs> and here's what I've seen. There, You see glimpses, you see tastes, you see samples of this throughout church history, beautiful seasons, but so often we fall short of Jesus' heart for us. Me, in my life, man, I've experienced some beautiful moments. Perhaps you have too. Maybe that was in a, in a small group or a study where it just felt like God knitted you together, where there's just a commonality of purpose and of heart and, and loving God and serving him. Maybe that was a season of your life. Maybe uh, for, for me, I know just sometimes on the mission field, maybe for you, it, it was a group that you were with a time at school, a study you were part of. But maybe you're missing that in your life right now. You know, here's what I've saw, seen in the last few years. You know, 2020 was a crazy year for, for everybody. And there was this interesting thing that happened, because I think for a lot of people, you know, it, it was like a forced break. And a lot of people just sort of hunkered down and actually had some really good community within their immediate family that maybe they hadn't experienced ever before that because they, they had to pause. But during that, like, some healthy habits and some healthy behaviors were, were broken. And for many, they lost the unity and community in the church 
family and have never gone back. They just sort of disconnected. And you know, here's the thing about unity. Do you know it's found in community? Look it up in the dictionary. It's there. You were not created to be a Lone Ranger Christian. You know, community takes work. It's not always convenient. It doesn't always happen by accident. You don't always want to do it. It takes work, but it's worth it. You were created for it. It's, it's how the Christian life is meant to be experienced. And for some of you, maybe you've let community take the back burner in your life. We've got, we're going to have some neat opportunities in 2023 that I hope you'll take advantage of. Now, as we wrap this up today, I've got two more verses, or three actually, I can't count, three verses for you to wrap up this prayer. I'm going to invite Winston up because we're going to end with a song in just a moment. But Jesus goes on, and just stick with me through these three more verses. Jesus says this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. There he brings this up again. And here's what you see. He can't wait to show you his glory. Did you get that? He wants you there with him. He wants you with him in relationship for eternity. See, and so for so many, I think they live life, maybe this is you, you live life with this just vague general feeling that God is just right on the edge of ticked off with you all the time. He desires relationship with you. He loves you. He wants you to spend eternity with you. In fact, Jesus goes on in 25, he says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order, listen to this, that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus says, I love you. I love you. The Father loves you. With the love, Jesus says, with the love he has for Jesus, he loves you. Has the weight of that sunk into your heart? That he loves you, that he he desires relationship with you, that he can't wait to bring you into his glory, to experience that forever and ever? It's beyond anything you can comprehend. He loves you. So Jesus, last words of prayer in John before he heads to the cross. He wants to dwell within you by the power of his spirit that you would experience and know the depth of his love right now. Would you stand? I don't know about you, but as I read that, it makes me hungry for more.
I want more of his joy. I, I want the reality of his love for me to sink into my heart. I want to receive that grace in a new way. That I live out of an abundance of gratitude for what he's done for me on a daily basis. I want that to be more and more true of my life every day. Do you? You know, as we close here, we're going to sing a song. um, But Jesus offers you relationship, joy, hope, purpose. And some of you, you haven't said yes to him yet. You haven't embraced the free gift that, that he offers you. Maybe you feel God just tugging on your heart right now. Say, come home. We're going to sing this song. I'm going to come back up. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer. For some of you, maybe you feel like, I've been a follower of Jesus, but I've only tasted a sample of this. As you sing this, why don't you just reach out, call out to him, reach out to him, say, Lord, would you, would you bring this to life in my, in my life? I want more. I want to experience this. For some, maybe it's that community thing and going into the new year, it's just taking, you know, back burner in your life and you need to say, okay, it's time to re-engage. Maybe it's time to repair a relationship that's been broken. Maybe it's time to make a a commitment in the new year. I'm going to be vulnerable with some people because I'm not meant to do this life alone.